You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the PharmD Money Podcast, where certified financial planner Derek Delaney brings financial education and observation to help pharmacists navigate their most important financial questions. Welcome in PharmD Nation to episode number 48 of the PharmD Money Podcast. My name is Derek Delaney. Thank you guys for joining me today. I am excited about this episode because it's one of my favorite things to do in podcast episodes, and that is throwing out an AMA episode. So usually at the end of each podcast, I always ask anybody who's interested in submitting questions to do so at podcast at farmdfp.com. And over the course of time, I accumulate a lot of good questions from people who listen to the podcast. And I always like to take out some time to answer a lot of those questions, especially the more popular ones, for listeners in a podcast episode. Because if people are asking these questions, I have a feeling that more than those individuals have these questions on their mind. And it's extremely important to answer those so anybody else who's going through the same situation has some ideas of how to handle some of the stuff we're going to talk about on this podcast episode today. So without further ado, I'm going to jump right in. And the first question in this AMA episode is, what should I be doing during a bear market? So to preface right now, as we're recording, it's the middle of January and the stock market is not doing very well. We've seen a lot of volatility, the type of volatility we haven't seen in the stock market for probably 18 to 24 months. And a lot of people are nervous because they understand that inflation's going up. The Federal Reserve is trying to hike rates to combat that. The economy is starting to slow down again. Could this mean the start of that bear market people eventually know will show its head here at some point? Is this the beginning of it? And if it is, and we go straight into a bear market and investments, investment markets continue to go down, what should investors be doing in a bear market? And I think it's important to break it up into two parts between what accumulators, people who are younger and still trying to save, invest, and grow their net worth, and what decumulators should do. The people who have reached retirement or are getting very close to retirement And what are the things and strategies they should be doing during an economic bear market? So to begin, an accumulator during a bear market should actually be happy as long as the bear market isn't causing such a strain on the economy that they're going to lose their job. If there's an accumulator out there who is not more than five years away from retirement, to be honest, you should actually be rooting for a bear market. You should be rooting for pullback in investment markets as long as you know you're going to be able to keep your job and your income won't be compromised because as those investments go down in value, you actually have the opportunity to continue to buy and save with those same investments at a lower cost, which means your money buys more of those investment units when they are when they cost less, which means when investment markets rebound and come back, which they always do eventually, you're going to own more of those investment units and your account is going to be bigger than it would have been if you would have just continued to buy at all-time highs without any sort of pullback in the market. So if you're an accumulator, bear markets, economic recessions aren't a bad thing if you can keep your job and you can keep a steady income. 
For deaccumulators, those that are really close to retirement or already in retirement, it's a completely different story. And my answer of what you should do during a bear market really depends on what your strategy was or is going to be in retirement from an income producing standpoint. How are you going to pay yourself in retirement? How are you right now paying for yourself in retirement? And that will directly determine what you should do. If you have a strategy set up where you're distributing money out of your investment portfolios and you've prepared for the eventual downturn in investment markets and you feel good about that strategy, well then just keep doing what you're doing and keep going. Don't put too much stock in what's going on in investment markets right now if you had a strategy in place already to prepare for this eventually coming true. The other option, if you don't have a strategy, but you're worried about your investment portfolios dropping dramatically is reduce the amount of income you're currently taking out of those investment portfolios. Let's just say you have a pension, social security, and you're supplementing those two income sources with monthly withdrawals from your IRA. Well, you could always turn down the amount of those monthly withdrawals, leave more money in your investment account. That way, when the market eventually recovers, more dollars are left in that investment account to also recover, and you're not pulling out as much, which means you're not locking in as many losses by pulling out more money. So reducing your income is an option. The other option you could go to is, do you have a reserve fund set up, or what I like to call a war chest? Is there cash sitting on the sideline right now you could tap into to leave a lot of those other investments alone? And then finally, and I think this goes for everybody, whether you're an accumulator or deaccumulator, is make sure you have some sort of systematic rebalancing happening in your portfolio. As investment markets drop, your equity positions could become less and less, and your bond or fixed investment positions could end up becoming a bigger percentage of your overall portfolio. You want to make sure you rebalance so you start putting some of those fixed bond investments into those lower cost equities so you keep your total risk tolerance in line as the market goes down and as the market recovers again, regardless of how long that takes into the future. So those are all things accumulators and deaccumulators could be doing during a bear market. Question number two, should I pay my mortgage off before retirement? Now, that is a really good question, and I think the first thing we need to determine is how far off is retirement. If you're 30 years old, my belief is you don't want to throw extra cash at your mortgage to get it paid off early because it's money taken away to do other things that could probably have a bigger, more profound, positive impact on your financial life. But if you're two to three years away from retirement, pulling money or pulling resources and putting it toward your mortgage to get that paid off before retirement could be a really, really good idea. It's actually one that I recommend quite often. But the caveat is you have to have the discretionary assets available to be able to do that. I would not recommend dipping into a 401k or another retirement account a couple years away from retirement just to pay off your mortgage. Specifically, if you're retiring early and you're under the age of 55 or 59 and a half, where you could potentially incur penalties on that money if you take them out of those retirement accounts. But if you have a lot of money sitting in cash or a lot of money sitting on the sideline that you have no plans for, using some of that money to pay off your mortgage could be a really good deal as you approach or transition into retirement. Because two things I see when it comes to eliminating a mortgage and just debt reduction in general in retirement is it creates more flexibility in your cash flow. 
So again, it allows you to be able to determine if you want to increase or decrease your spending at any given time on your terms. And the other thing is, I think it creates more contentment and better investment behavior in retirement, where if you don't have a mortgage to have to worry about, and you don't have to worry about making those payments, it becomes a lot easier from a behavioral standpoint not to do anything stupid with your money when we're going through tough economic times like we might be experiencing right now. So should you pay off your mortgage before retirement? If you're a pre-retiree or just getting into retirement, my answer is yes. With a few caveats, do you have the discretionary assets to do so? And will spending those assets on your mortgage hurt farther down the line in a bigger way than paying off your mortgage does on a positive side right now? Question number three, if I retire early, is the projected amount of my social security projection, will it be what it says on the social security projection form? Okay, so what I think this uh, viewer is getting at from a question standpoint is a lot of people understand that they get their social security projection estimates. They used to get them mailed to them and now you have to go online to get it if you want to look at it more often. But let's just say you're 53 years old and you plan to retire in a couple of years, the full retirement age isn't until you're 67, and you can't turn on your social security until you get to age 62. If you retire at age 55, can you bank on those projections that are on that social security projection form? And the answer is probably not. So the projection social security administration puts on those social security projection forms that they mail to you or you either get online is based on the assumption that you will continue to work up until that age on the form and earn the same amount of income you earned last year. Now, Social Security is projected off of the top 35 highest earning years. So let's just say you started working when you were 20 years old and you had a phenomenal job and you already have your top 35 highest earning years in place. Well, then it really doesn't matter because whether you wait until 62 or full retirement age or age 70 to take Social Security, their calculation is going to be based on those wages that have already been earned. But like most people, the older you get, the more income you're probably going to earn. And if you're in your prime earning years right now and your next year and year after that and year after that could contribute to your top 35 highest working years, then chances are what you'll actually get in Social Security will be lower than what is projected on that statement because, again, they project that number based off the assumption that you will continue to work and earn what you earned last year up to that projected Social Security age. Now, if that's a little bit confusing or you want to have a better understanding of what your lower Social Security benefit could be, There's actually a calculator on the Social Security Administration website that helps people figure this out. So check that out if you'd like. Question number four, how do I know if I need a trust or a will? So this is a great question, and I think this answer could be debated across the spectrum. I know there are a lot of state attorneys who who will have different opinions, and really I think it comes down to what your specific situation looks like. If you have a high net worth, and you live in a state where there is a small state limit for death tax, or your net worth is high enough where you exceed the limit for federal death tax, chances are a trust could be very beneficial from a number of different standpoints. We're not going to get into those. 
but let's just say your economic resources are more modest. Should you pursue a trust or a will? Well, I think it's important just to understand the differences between the two and then figure out which uh, which one will better help your current financial situation. So it's important to know that a will is completely public. If you pass away and you distribute your assets to your heirs through a will, Joe Schmo next door could go down to the courthouse, look up that information and see what you had, what you were worth and where your money went. A will is public. It also usually takes longer to distribute assets through a will. Because when you get a will, you have to file the will. You have to create certificate fees and you have to do the notifications. Let people know that you passed away and you were actually in the will. And then that is all done through probate, which in and of itself, having to deal with the legal system, the court system can take a lot longer than people would originally anticipate. So a will is public and it takes a lot longer. However, upfront, a will is cheaper than a trust. Where a will right now, on average, I'm guessing you could get a will done between $300 and $600. Where a trust, you're looking at $2,000 to $5,000, kind of in that area. But again, the after cost of a will is going to be a lot higher than a trust. So sometimes, if your estate is complicated enough, it could be cheaper to actually do a trust compared to a will. So, a will is public. It is less expensive right away, but could be more expensive in the future. And with a will, you have to go through probate, which is a big pain in the butt. Given those three things that wills are required of, that trusts are not, I like leaning towards setting up a trust if your financial situation is complex enough to make it worth it. Because I think spending a couple thousand dollars, if you need to, is well worth it compared to a lot of the uncertainties a will will bring about, specifically having to go through probate. I also think it's important before I get off this topic to let people know that sometimes you don't need either. Sometimes if you just title your property, like putting beneficiaries on your IRAs, 401ks, uh, doing a transfer on deed trusts on your home, things like that, that will actually pass along your assets to your beneficiaries and your heirs more efficiently than a trust and a will will. But again, if your financial situation is complex enough, that's where you may want to look at a will or a trust, but just know that titling your property could be good enough. And as we're coming up on time, I'm going to go through one last question, and that is, oh, this is is a good one. Are all annuities bad? So this is a question that I think a lot of people have thought about themselves because they've heard other people talk poorly of annuities. And I think the reason is, is because saying that all annuities are bad have been a tremendous marketing strategy for big investment companies. There are investment companies that have spent millions and millions of dollars on advertisement that basically spend their entire ad bashing annuities. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because years ago, a lot of annuities were sold unnecessarily, meaning that a lot of annuities were sold by quote unquote financial advisors because they earn the biggest commission off of the sale of those products. And in all actuality, there were probably better alternatives than those annuities for the clients who bought them. But hey, that's how it goes when you're a commission broker, specifically going back 5, 10, 15 years. I would like to say that I think there are a few instances and a few cases where annuities can be a very good thing. And I think the number one case for annuities are income annuities. So income annuities are where you hand over a pile of cash to the insurance company, and in return, they pay you a stream of income for the rest of your life. 
And usually, if you set it up correctly, that stream of income, based off of the amount of money you gave the insurance company, could be higher than what you could actually distribute yourself if you held on to that money in an investment account on your own. The other nice thing about income annuities is it's income you can count on for the rest of your life. You don't take any of the investment risk anymore or anything like that, where, again, if you manage your own portfolio and you're withdrawing out of your own portfolio, you have that withdrawal risk embedded inside of the whatever distribution strategy you have. So are all annuities bad? No. Uh, I like actually income annuities if the situation fits or calls for them. It's just that a lot of big companies had marketing strategies over the last 5-10 years that basically implanted the thought that all annuities are bad in people's heads. And because a lot of annuities were sold inappropriately over the last 5-10-15 years in my opinion by bad brokers, people were rightfully so being skeptical when it comes to the word annuities. But just understand there are a tremendous amount of different kinds of annuities and different ways you can buy them and different benefits that come along with them. So don't just assume all annuities are bad, but continuously be skeptical and make sure that if you own an annuity or somebody's pitching you an annuity, it's truly going to provide you what you want it to provide you. And it's not just offering you bells and whistles that you're paying extra for that you're never going to use. So that is it for this episode's AMA. If you have any other questions, feel free to send those questions to podcast at farmdfp.com and I'd be happy to answer those on any upcoming AMA episodes. If you're looking for more information about myself, the podcast, or FarmDFP, feel free to visit the firm's website at www.farmdfp.com. Also, feel free to check out and subscribe to the YouTube channel, FarmD Financial Planning, for more great insight. Finally, until next time, FarmD Nation, be well. FarmD Money Podcast is not intended to be tax, legal, or investment advice. All opinions expressed on the show are for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for tax, legal, or investment advice.